the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back and happy Monday, July 19th, 2021. I hope you had a great weekend. On the way in to work today, I was thinking about the story that the, uh, well, the NFL is now going to, has now announced that they're going to have two national anthems again before every football game in the next upcoming, in the new upcoming season. They're going to have the Star Spangled Banner, which as you know is also a um, a uh, synonym for the American flag, and they're going to have the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. As the New York Post put it earlier, social justice promotion this upcoming season will include on-field signage, player helmet decals, and in-stadium public service announcements. For week one of the preseason, end zones will be painted to include the messages and racism and inspire change. might be interesting if they had some player, perhaps from another country, uh, perhaps not, put a comma there and say so, so, so that the end zone would say end racism in China. Uh, or perhaps it would be interesting if someone put a comma after inspire change and wrote Cuba, places that truly need something like social justice promotion and every other kind of justice. I found it a little interesting that all the signage, all the social justice promotion during the NBA uh, playoffs has gone away. You don't see it. You don't see it when you have the most maximum of audience, I would think, for NBA games. And I find that curious. But the NFL is going back to having two different national anthems, one for whites and one for blacks. Lovely. Just the very purpose of a nation and an anthem, isn't it? Just the very purpose of sports. See, the idea behind sports carries with it a great deal, a great deal. Obviously, fairness and competition, men and women competing against themselves as well as against their fellow teammates as well as against their opponents in various capacities, but all under the rubric that there have to be rules and that are fair. And for the fans, the spectators, whether you be a season ticket holder or someone who watches on TV or listens perhaps on the radio or elsewhere, you root for your team because for some reason you have an affinity for it. And teams unite people. Anyone who understands anything about the culture of sports understands that's why cities hold parades after victories of their teams. Anyone who understands the culture of sports understands that's why there are designated bars and uh, establishments, dining establishments, 
dedicated to certain teams so that people can unite. The whole purpose of these community athletic and professional athletic um, uh, uh, engagements for the spectators, for the non-players and the non-odors is to unite around something and to engage in what there's no great better word for it than in German, Gemutlichkeit, the kind of social cohesion that, yes, to use a threadbare word now, unites people, unites people. The notion that there would be two national anthems is a notion that is not new and should not be seen as new to Americans. Those who have real history textbooks in the eighth grade or those who have real civics or history textbooks in the 12th grade will have read about a case that you know almost by rote to have stood for a noxious doctrine, and that doctrine is the doctrine of separate but equal based on racial categorization. All of you know that as the Plessy v. Ferguson case. Most of you know that it was overruled by Brown versus Board of Education, at least the general holding that facilities cannot be considered equal if they are separate or segregated based on race. What's interesting to me about that? A couple of things. A couple of things. First of all, as anyone who's had a real history textbook knows, the person arguing Brown versus Board of Education and later rewarded with a seat on the Supreme Court was the lead counsel for the NAACP, a man named Thurgood Marshall. In his brief to the Supreme Court, Thurgood Marshall wrote that distinctions by race are so evil so arbitrary and so invidious that a state bound to defend the equal protection of the laws must not invoke them in any sphere. Distinctions by race are so invidious they should not be invoked in any public sphere. Hard to get to a more public sphere than something called itself the national Football League. Why don't, if they're going to have tributes to the nation based on race, why don't they have teams based on race? Why not have a team for blacks and a team for whites now that we have a statement of honor and support for the country based on race? One of the most important things about the national anthem when it's played before an athletic game, a professional athletic game, is it always honors those who fought for that star-spangled banner, those who always wore the flag of the United States in military engagements, fighting for all our freedom. That's why you have military flyovers at so many of these national anthem performances. Are we now going to say that those people who we are honoring must be honored based on and according to their race? Were they fighting based on or anything according to their race, or were they fighting for the every single American, not just black, not just white, not just Asian, but Republican, independent, vegetarian, and every other kind of American you can think of? That is what a national anthem is. It is a national statement of unity. 
We don't have to get into debates over whether nationalism is a good thing or not. But when you think about the concept of nationalism, it is based on unified support for a nation. Rich Lowry put it this way. A nation is to a large extent defined by its symbols and associations. The holidays, the rituals, the heroes, the history, what Lincoln called our mystic chords of memory. That's how a nation tells others what it is. It's how it tells itself what it is. And it tells everyone in the world, as well as in its own country, what it aspires to be, what its priorities should be. For all those right now who think our nation is divided, think just a moment and take just a step back to consider how good a solution it will be to bridge the divide by having two different national anthems based on the race of who those professing support for the country. Black support the country this way, whites support the country this way. Now, the question begs itself, will whites be able to stand up with the African Americans or blacks and sing their national anthem? Will blacks be allowed to stand up and sing the now white national anthem? And of course, the answer will be yes, but then the question then becomes, why have two Are we not a United States, and was the purpose to unite the states, or was the purpose to unite us as a people? We, the people, we who hold these truths to be self-evident. We didn't talk about states' rights. We talked about individual and Americans and human beings' rights in our founding. And we didn't talk about the rights based on your race. It does beg a question secondarily, that Dennis Prager was talking about on his show earlier today. If you have, in fact, a literal racist watching a sporting event or a professional athletic event and is uh, privileged enough to see that at that event there is a statement in the end zone that says, end racism, is that going to do it? Will we have our mission-accomplished moment yet? I say this all in the wake of the news that fans of Major League Baseball at the Nationals game against the Padres fled, fled the stadium when three people were shot two days ago. Fled it. Something tells me getting a hand on that violence will do a lot more for race relations, life, and America than dividing the country further by saying I support the country this way based on my race and I don't support it that way based on yours. I'm Seth Liebson, 602 We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Movie update with staff real quickly. Uh, we do this every Monday. Bill, you uh, have any movies or anything, any documentaries you saw, anything you want to share with us, books on tape, you name it? Nothing. Big zero. How about John? John has something, okay? 
We gave John movie assignments. I think the movie assignments were to review um, Rope, Rear Window, North by Northwest, The Graduate, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Jaws. Those were the uh, – is your volume okay? Those, no, I think it's okay. Yeah. Those were the, uh, those were the charges. Uh-huh. And so this weekend you saw what? Saw none of them? None of them. No, Did you see something else, something you had a better idea uh-huh. to see? I did. So, like I said last time, yes. I prefer movies to, or I prefer TV shows to movies. Fair enough. As such, yeah. I have in been that w- vein. Uh huh. I have started watching Marvel's Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. Okay. I uh, on Netflix. Yeah. First of all, in any show I watch, it has to have the legs in it for me to be committed long term. Sure. sure. Has so seven you- seasons. Yeah. Okay. Great plot. There aren't actually many superheroes, and I should give a disclaimer: I haven't finished the show yet, so I'm. Not fully authorized to give a stellar review, although it's a good show. I enjoy it more and than Shield I would a movie. stands for what? It's an acronym. Oh, I couldn't tell you. It's Strategic something. Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division, possibly? I think so. <laughs> Do you have that pulled up, or is no. that just off the top of the head? No, I just think that's what it's called. Well, it sounds right to me. I would go yeah, with it. I'm, I'm glad I you're watching it. this. No, I also, am not watching it. I have not watched a single episode. Well, I, I seem to know more about S.H.I.E.L.D. than you do. <laughs> This I is guess not so. good. It's not good. Okay. But I, I did just remember, too, that I think I have watched Rear Window before, as you were saying, them, because they had us watch it in English class Why? one time. I don't, it was one of those things where it's the end of the year that teachers don't really want to do anything yeah. and they give us a movie. I'll watch an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Exactly. It was a good movie, though. That it's was not a great good, literature. That's I do remember weird. that was a fantastic movie. You I were would right. be surprised they didn't watch, have you read something that was tied to a book, like uh-huh. To Kill a Mockingbird or mm-hmm. no. Gone with the Wind. No. Can't watch that anymore. All right, John Lamenti. Thank you, sir. We'll yeah, talk to you I will, soon. Seriously, yes. I'll, start wa- I'll watch one of them. I, Next time them I'm on here, I'll watch them. I watch them all. Okay, I will. All right. Are you just saying that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm genuine. You, took, you are genuine. I am you genuine. You took my first assignment seriously before you even started. Of course. Of course. I wouldn't lie to you. No, it was a Seinfeld episode, by the way. This is interesting. Thank you, John. This is interesting. And for everything else. This is interesting. Um. The British Minister of Health. Now, this is why you have to check. Remember last week, Bill? Do you guys remember last week I said you have to check every single thing? You really have to check every little thing you want to, fa- you want to cite as fact. You just have to. So uh, <clears throat> Roiling Twitter is uh, this uh, statement by the Minister of Health in Great Britain where the Delta variant seems to be um, on, the, um, on the upsurge. And the quote that is roiling Twitter with a site that looks totally respectable to The Guardian or something, it says, Minister of Health, 60% of COVID hospitalizations are double vaccinated. Well, that would be a huge deal and should be a lead headline. So I have to look it up because I practice what I preach, you have to check every little thing, even if it's a headline out of The Guardian. And it was. And you link to The Guardian, and it ain't there. Why they removed it. Why he misspoke. He misspoke. It's been corrected. He meant, he tells us, he meant 60% of the COVID hospitalizations are in fact, unvaccinated. 60% are not vaccinated. Doubly, they are unvaccinated. And you say, oh, okay, but wait, really? 
So that means 40% of the hospitalizations in Great Britain for the upsurge of COVID are double vaccinated, right? Of course it does, or at least vaccinated to some extent. Now, why is this even interesting or as interesting? Why? Several reasons. One, let's see how much press this gets in America as they try and continue to persuade us to get over our vaccine hesitancy. That's one thing to watch out for. Second thing that's interesting worth watching out for is um, is what we were told the efficacy of these vaccines were, because my memory was 94 and 95 percent, not 60 percent. Finally, in America, across the pond from Great Britain, you have Rachel Walensky, Dr. Walensky, the head of the CDC and others, saying that this is a pandemic now of the unvaccinated. It is the unvaccinated who are the biggest problem, the pandemic of the unvaccinated. That's what Dr. Walensky said. If you had 40 percent of something and the government line is, don't worry about the 40 percent. The 60 percent is all we have to deal with. Well, they'd be right in the main. But to dismiss the 40 percent and put it all on this. If you could reduce any problem by 40 percent in this country, if you could reduce unemployment, homelessness, welfare, drug addiction by 40 percent, if you could reduce covid or anything by that amount, you'd celebrate. How do I know? Because we have. We celebrated it when we saw those reductions in caseloads. But for the government to ignore the fact that 40 percent of the vaccinated are uh, at least hospitals. Let me say it very accurately. Hospitals with covid patients of of the hospitals with covid patients, 40 percent of them have been double vaccinated um, raises yet a fourth question which is, will repetition of that quote and statistic now be banned because it encourages vaccine hesitancy? Well, we're told we're being banned on social media for misstatements of fact, but it's all right now around COVID and vaccinations. Some of it is around January 6th. Most of it is around COVID and vaccinations. And of course, for the past five days, the administration and Jen Psaki have been trying to clean up their twice and thrice stated uh, stated um, stated modus operandi, which is to get social media, primarily Facebook, to stop spreading misinformation. On Friday, Joe Biden said Facebook is killing people. Today, he walked that back and said, well, not literally Facebook. But the things that they're repeating, okay, okay, the things people are thinking and saying, okay, okay, all right, that's 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 a fair cleanup, but it is not the job of the government to tell private industry, if they are private industry, what they can and cannot allow for the purposes of its customers' freedom of speech. For to do that would be unconstitutional, but doing that... They are. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us the great John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. And uh, he also, by the way, yes, has a radio show right here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., the Word on Wealth. John, how are you? Fantastic. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. How are Ralphie and Sophia? Oh, my gosh. They're doing great. So uh, Ralphie hurt his leg, but we're doing okay. Ra- Ralphie is, yeah. Ralphie and Sophia are the uh, are the company the, dogs. Are, are the company pets, yeah. Named after anyone in particular? <laughs> no. You know, I know you think of the honeymooners when you hear Ralphie, right? But yes. He was a rescue, and his name was Ralphie, and we kept it. Nice. So. Lovely. Wonderful dogs. Not so wonderful over at the Dow Jones today. Oh, well, yeah, we got uh, a little bit of uh, volatility today. You know, this this uh, additional variant now of the COVID-19 has seemed to uh, have taken a little bit more hold, and uh, it's kind of spooking out uh, some people here, investors. You know, it was interesting, too, today, Seth, I don't know if you noticed, but the 10-year Treasury, which we follow fairly regularly, um, has come to a five-month low falling below 1.2%. And basically what that is telling us is that there are people buying the 10-year Treasury oh. notes. Oh. Uh, so, in other words, when you buy them, the rates drop because there's a flood of people and they're buying them. And so what winds up happening is, is people are paying higher prices for them, which is lowering those yields. So it's it's kind of interesting when we when we see this. People are concerned about stocks, so they move to bonds even though they're really not performing uh, with any real benefit as far as a return. But that feeling of safety is something that people want to go towards when we see volatility like this. Will it be long-lived or short-lived? Well, that's going to be the question of the the next couple of days to see what happens here. But we've already seen a little bit of a, um, you know, uh, the market was down, down, down over 940 points. Uh, at one point, but uh, closed down about 700 uh, at the end of the day. It's a weird, it's a weird, uh, what's the word I want, dichotomy, where yep. you see at the Wall Street Journal or even CNBC headlines like U.S. coronavirus re- recession lasted only two months. It was one of the shortest recessions in history, right. while across the page you see headlines like the kind you were just talking about that um that say the virus worry the virus worries ripple through the markets right and they do you know we saw the travel stocks today get hit the uh, you know cruise stocks um airline stocks energy stocks financials uh, all getting beat up today uh and it's this is a common thing Seth. obviously anything that's going to interrupt travel possibly even the thought of it is going to be something that's going to have a negative effect on that specific sector for now. However, I would say this is that I'm not saying that this is over just yeah. yet, yeah. but I would say we've got to look back at history and, and look at what the markets do during these periods of time. As you just mentioned, the shortest recession we ever had was the initial stages when COVID first came out. And here we are again with a little bit of a resurgence. Uh, and do we expect this is going to be worse because of this than the first go round. Uh, it seems to me that it wouldn't be, but we've got a little bit of other factors. Too. Yeah, no, we do, right? We're seeing Los Angeles yeah. and, and Las Vegas yeah. trying to 
yeah, take us back got, a little bit, right? Yeah, you've got also some other issues when it comes to the spending in Washington yep. and the printing is still, you know, the Fed is still bailing out and still uh, spending all this money at some point. You know, when does the, you know, the this hit the wall? And is this the time? I think you could you could make an argument either way, Seth, but uh, it's really funny when you go online or if you listen to any of the, the pundits out there, uh, you've got both sides. One is saying that this is just a blip, that we're going to see this recover really quickly. We've got the pent-up demand out there. Uh, and then you've got the others out there that are always, uh, you know, crying that the sky is falling. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of look at your own personal situation, look at your own personal time horizon, and we've got to take a uh, take a motion out of this, and we've got to look at this based on, uh, some facts that we could certainly look at and your time horizon risk tolerance. Put together a solid investment strategy uh, and let's stay with the plan, make adjustments along the way, and we'll, we'll hopefully get a successful outcome. That's the goal that we have for our clients. Wonderful. Thank you. And whatever your time constraints are, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, yes. 40 years, or less. Or less. If it's John, years, you are wonderful years, at tailoring that. You bet. Right. Thank you. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, typically an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC. Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Call our office, 480-991-1055, or check us out on the web, grandcanyonplanning.com. Thanks, John. Thanks, Seth. Bye-bye. Bless you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, there are only 39 prisoners at Guantanamo Bay left after today. Joe Biden, the Biden administration, sought the release and indeed released one Abdul Latif Nasser, who has been held um, in detainment there. Uh, as a result of uh, activities uh, in Afghanistan uh, that led to 9-11. Now, one of the main reasons he was released, if not the main reason he was released, is you find that they can't get good evidence on him. They don't have good evidence about just exactly what it was Abdul Latif Nasir was captured for doing. Was he at Tora Bora? Did he fight for the Taliban? Did he not? Did he get terrorist training in Afghanistan? Did he not? Did he um, did he travel to Afghanistan for the purposes of jihad? Did he not? Um, it seems to me if we're willing to do this for people captured on the battlefield abroad, if we're willing to do this for suspected terrorists in a war zone against terrorism or terrorists, um, a fortiori, the lack of evidence leading to the release of a detainee should apply to Americans, shouldn't it? I'm thinking of the January 6th Americans who are held without evidence, without charges. I think that that is easily tied to a second story, which I find incredibly interesting. It's amazing how hard you have to work to find this stuff out. Did you know that 30 percent, 30 percent of illegal 
immigrants at our border refuse the COVID vaccine? Are you aware of that? 30%, one-third of all these illegal immigrants from countries with really poor health and health conditions of these people who are coming into our country refuse to get the vaccine. Now, it seems to... Ouch, sorry. (laughs) Johnny Carson problem with the pen. I need two eraser pens. It seems to me, or pencils, it seems to me that if... The administration really wants to convince Americans they're serious about overcoming vaccine hesitancy. How about starting with the people we are literally in control of, those we have detained at the border or those we come in contact with at the border? It just seems to me that would be a good start to show that we're not lax about this for political purposes and we're not making a political a political hash or stew of the vaccine. Um, Let me take this call and make my other point about Kamala Harris when we come back uh, on the other side. But Dana and Chandler, hello, Dana. You're on the point of vaccine hesitancy. I I am. Well, you know, Seth, I'm I'm a language freak, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't like the language that they're using, calling it vaccine hesitancy. Um, I don't think those of us that haven't gotten it are hesitant. I think those of us that haven't gotten it are educated, have seen, um, you know, what the VAERS system is reporting, have talked to people that have been vaccinated. We're just not doing it. We're not hesitant. I don't like that word. I'm not hesitating. I'm not doing it. You know, so it's this whole weaponizing again of language. You know, if you, if you aren't pro-vaccine, you're anti-vaccine. Well, no, I'm not pro getting the COVID shot, but I'm not an anti-vaxxer either. I've vaccinated all my children. I've had my vaccines. I, you know, I even had my MMR redone in my 20s because I wasn't immune during my childbearing years. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just not hesitant and I'm just not doing it. And the reason is what, Dana? Uh First of all, I believe that I'm immune anyways, because I think that it went through my family way, way, way back in February of 2020 when it wasn't supposedly even here yet. Um, Second of all, if I was going to get it, I'd have had it by now because I'm out and about in the public. And, um, you know, I I haven't been wearing a mask unless I've absolutely been forced to. I've flown on airplanes. I've, you know, I haven't changed my life that much. I don't get the flu shot. Uh, You know, I'm young enough. Well, I guess maybe at heart I'm young enough. I suppose on paper I'm not that young. But I'm healthy. I take care of myself. And I just don't see it as being a risk. I don't see a disease that I have a 99-point-some-odd percent That's the funny thing we have to remember. I was having a conversation with someone the other day talking about risks of getting COVID. And he says, yes, but don't forget, even if you get it, what's average age of death? Something like 80? Average rate of survival, 99.9? Yeah, good point, Dana. And this is experimental. I don't put experimental things in my body. I just don't. Do you have any hesitancy about going out in public, about doing any public activities, um, nope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you know. No, no I see. I think I, and I and I think I think that's kind of what's motivating most of the people who don't want the vaccine that I have talked to. They say something very similar to you. It's that it's experimental. They've either had covid or they have up to now been impervious to it uh, or they are 
just very healthy and don't want to risk the side effects, which also mimic COVID like the vaccine does. Right. So if you've well, been perfectly just, healthy up till now and you've risk. been exposed, why would you want to take a risk of something certain injected into your body that is reported to give you the same effects as COVID? I totally get it. I totally get it. And life is not without risk. You know, we we take risks like getting our cars. That's a big risk. We go places. Those things are much riskier than me getting COVID and dying from COVID. There's a whole lot more things that I do on, you know, a daily basis or in my activities and what I choose to do. I mean, for instance, we know that most accidents happen at home. Well, I'm home all the time. So chances are if I'm going to get hurt, my risk is much higher being at home than it is out getting COVID. Yeah. Yep. You know, we, we like I said, life is risky. So you, you weigh the risks and benefits all day, every day of everything that you do. So why is this any different? So, no, it's not a hesitancy. It's being educated and understanding what the risks are and what my tolerance for risk is, kind of like what John Dombrowski says. You know, what's your tolerance for risk? That's how you go about making your life choices. So I just, I don't like the, the continued weaponizing of language because it drives me crazy. I don't like the weaponizing of language, and I don't like the politicalization that all of this has become while we're told on this side we're the ones who have politicized it. I, I don't like it right. at all. I don't like that the mark of patriotism is not standing for your national anthem, but wearing a mask and now getting a vaccine. I don't like the redefinition of words like patriotism, especially when we're told we're not to be proud of this country. By the way— Something interesting on the on the uh, on the origin leak theory I wanted to raise with you. By the way, Dana, thank you for that. If other people have hesitancy, I'd like to know what their reasons are. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Now that there's a coalescence of opinion that the coronavirus originated um, in the lab rather than from a bat or a pangolin, some kind of zoonetic transmission. Even the World Health Organization, um, the leader of the World Health Organization, a man named um, Tedros, I'll just get it once out, Tedros Adanum Gabriesis, said in February of this year that it was highly, extremely, extremely unlikely that the virus could have escaped from a lab, is now doing a 180, a complete 180, telling the press over the weekend, quote, I was a lab technician myself. I'm an immunologist and I have worked in the lab and lab accidents happen. It's common. It went from unlikely to common with the World Health Organization and the Biden administration officials, as the story I'm reading in the New York Post says, coming ever so closer to fully stating that it originated in the Wuhan virology lab. But the question I have, I guess this is the trouble with having a good long-term memory and a philosophy degree, political philosophy anyway, it raises the question, do you remember when every time Governor Andrew Cuomo spoke about the virus, 
He called it the European virus. Do you remember that? Well, now that we have a coalescence of opinion from the World Health Organization to even summon the Biden administration saying, now it not only was Wuhan, but it was a Wuhan lab. Is it still going to be a European, the European virus instead of the Chinese virus? And why is it okay? I've never understood why it was okay to dismiss Europeans, but not to dismiss the Chinese for responsibility here. Jack is in Phoenix answering my question. If you are hesitant to get the vaccine, why? Hi, Jack. Hello, Seth. Uh, I'm not hesitant. I won't get it. Yes. Part of of the reason is, is I did some research. I read several research papers about how they were constructing this vaccine and how it was different. Uh, And frankly, I think uh, if you're an old guy, you know, you can probably take it and it might help you. But I'm really concerned about what it might do to young people because it is experimental. And when you read about how it's approaching the RNA and the communications with the antibodies, it's almost like saying, hey, you know what? We're going to get rid of our army and we're just going to use SEAL teams. Yeah, I I, I take the point, Jack, and I take the point, too, with the record of misinformation this government has given us, including including about the origins of the of the um, of the virus. I, I just don't know why we're all of us supposed to sudden say if Trump tells us we're not doing it, but if Biden tells us we are, it's the same vaccine.